You're listening to the Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 46 Money, the Root of All Evil? Is currency the only measure of your wealth? We're talking about money, and we're talking again in a biblical sense uh, when we hear that money is the root of all evil. Any thoughts on that, Harry? Hallelujah, amen, I say. (laughs) Do you think it is? Um, Yes, for the most part, I actually agree with that statement. I'm not a Bible thumper per se, but I do agree with that statement in many ways. What part exactly? What part of that statement? Well, many parts, actually. People will often raise the argument against that statement. Well, it's, first of all, it's biblical, for, so don't even think about it. And second of all, hey, money's just a tool. You can use it for good, you can use it for evil, mm-hmm. whatever. And that's an argument that deflates that statement often. People just say, okay, I have nothing to say against that, because, yeah, everything is a tool in one mm-hmm. form or another. Mm-hmm. But you've got a definite opinion about that. Yeah, what I'm, my opinion is that a tool isn't a tool isn't a tool. Okay. For example... A hammer is a tool, and the implication of a hammer is that it nails things, typically. Mm -hmm. That's its job. It's clear. It's simple. It's straightforward. And yes, you can use that hammer to cave somebody's head in or to build a a cathedral. So that example proves the statement that people are making. Okay, now take an AK-47, for example. Mm. So what's the implication of an AK-47 other than destruction of human life? In other words, what's the What's the good? Right. Take the atomic bomb. It's a tool, as well as the Mm AK-47. What's its raison d'etre? To destroy 100,000 people in a microsecond. Mm -hmm. What's the good? What's the upside of that? I get your point, yeah. You know, so so what I'm saying is the tools are not inherently neutral. There's an energy attached, a kind of Mm -hmm. intention attached to tools that you can't use in a good way, particularly, or another. And I'm Mm -hmm. saying that money, in many ways, is not neutral as a tool. And it angles more towards the AK-47 side of things than Uh it does towards the good side of things because of human nature. Human nature being greed, excess. Yeah, especially in the West where we have luxuries Mm -hmm. and we're not in general poverty stricken. Money is used more for luxury items and entertainment than Mm -hmm. basic survival. Oh, for sure. Right? So money takes on this whole different kind of... Aura. Omnipotence. Omnipotence. And then when you talk about wealth, Mm -hmm. people who have money are considered wealthy. People who don't are not considered wealthy. And we're going to talk about different forms of wealth. Definition of. Definition of. of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the fact is, why do we even need to have that term when it comes to money? What's the difference? Just because you have a a million dollars and I have 10 cents in my pocket, we're still human beings. We're still equal on every other level, Mm -hmm. really. The only difference is you have some money in your pocket, and I don't have money in mine. Hmm. Johnny Carson was asked on his show many, many years ago, what does it feel like to be a wealthy man? Because he was, of course. And he said, the only advantage of being wealthy, of having lots of money, is that you don't have to worry about acquiring it. That's the only 
advantage, he said. Very great answer, actually. Yeah. Even the use of the word wealth. Many people, especially in other parts of the world, they would put their health and their spiritual well-being way ahead of money. Yeah, and others well behind because money mm -hmm. can become a kind of an addictive. Right. I mean, acquiring money can become an addiction the way heroin is an addiction. Mm -hmm. There are people who are addicted to making more money. And you had an example of somebody you had talked to a while ago, a businessman. Your question. What yeah, was it? a year or two ago, we were having this discussion. It was a gentleman that I was working with and I was helping with computer related items. And we got into a certain discussion. And just to cut through it all, basically, I just asked him if. This year, you were to make not one more cent of profit, but you would not suffer one iota on any level. In other words, you would keep all your possessions. You would maintain the exact same standard of living that you have. Everything would be equal. There would be absolutely no degradation of any kind. Your employees would all be better off. Their standard of living would be raised. But you yourself would not profit any more than you have. Would you consider that successful? Mm -hmm. What did he say? And his immediate answer was, well, why can't I do both? <laughs> A true entrepreneur. Well, I don't think there was anything specifically wrong with his answer. I understood his answer. The point to me was, well, that's not my question. Yeah. My question is, do you consider yourself successful if you have not degraded your situation while improving all those around you. In other words, his answer suggested he really wanted to say, no, it would not be a success. Because no. most companies would consider a flat-lined year-end as a failure because mm -hmm. business has to grow constantly. We had this conversation with Andrew Welch, who wrote the book, The Value Crisis, yes. uh, some time ago. And this is the kind of thing that came up where enough is never enough in a world where everything is monetized. Mm -hmm. It was one of our uh, first podcasts. Yeah, which takes us to the world of values, you yes. know, again. I have that challenge personally. I know that I've made certain choices and changes that uh, have affected me and those around me significantly in some ways. Yeah. And I still debate certain decisions, even though I feel much better right. personally. And has your lifestyle really suffered as a consequence of giving up the acquisition of more and more money? Mine hasn't directly, but other factors have. And then the question becomes one of, do you live in the world by yourself or do you have other members who depend on you? And uh, what aspect of that part do you include in your discussion? If I thought the way I think now when I was 25 or 30, I don't think I'd be in the situation that I'm in now. You'd be more poverty stricken is what you're saying, perhaps. No, actually, that's the kind of odd thing about it. The question to me is not money itself. It's how you go about getting it. If I create something that's very, very positive and I become wealthy as a result mm -hmm. in financial terms, yeah, I don't see that as negative at all. Mm-hmm. It's when you introduce greed and when you become obsessed with something and now you will do it at anyone's expense. That's what I have issue with, not money itself. The economy wants us to keep the flow of money, of currency going, which mm -hmm. keeps the economy moving. If everyone who made money hoarded it, under their mattress or whatever, mm -hmm. the economy would suffer. You would not yes. be creating more jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's the saving side of money, which can be deleterious to the economy. And then there's the spending side of money. So whether you have little or a lot of money, we are urged, pushed, mm -hmm. cajoled into spending that money. You got to use it. You mm -hmm. got to use that money. And so we've become a consumer society 
And consequently, we're always looking for where to spend our money, whether we need the object or service or not, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's for our survival or not, we have to spend it. So the focus now becomes the currency, not the things or services we're getting and exchanging for that currency. And product versus the process, mm-hmm. which is fundamentally what I'm against. At what point did you say there are things that I need to survive or need to live, and then there are things that are just things, and I now waste an inordinate amount of time managing things that have absolutely zero effect Mm -hmm. on the quality of my life. So, I mean, the obligation, the moral obligation with having wealth in terms of money wealth Mm -hmm. is to give something back to the world, to give more to the world than you've gotten in some ways. Well, sure, because... No matter who you are or what you've done, and no matter how hard you've worked, you have directly or indirectly relied on others to acquire your wealth. No one does it uh, completely on their own. Yeah. So it comes down to values. No matter what point you discuss, one can argue subjectivity. I mean, what you deem to be enough and what I deem to be enough may not be the same thing. Sure. So no matter what angle you take in the discussion of how much you acquire... We may differ in what each of us thinks is sufficient. Yeah, but that comes down to our education. It comes down to our family values. Exactly. It comes down to our spiritual wealth, if you like. Let's exactly. Talk about wealth, our spiritual sense of well-being, our sense of what we need to be in the world in a good way. How mm-hmm. much stuff do we actually need? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. And the problem, I think, with money, with currency, is that you tend to have to want to spend it. It's just part of the game. Well, it's like you said, with system. money, money only leaves you with two basic options. Yeah, save it or, yeah. or spend it. Yeah, save or spend. You know, you can invest in the stock market, but that's just money making more money. There's no actual goods really being created out of that interaction. No, there's a good point of discussion. The stock market, if you examine its creation, the basis of it was to improve our standard of living, which in a sense you do. And you encourage investment, you encourage growth. Yeah. Because if we all collectively invest in something, that gives that particular company or individual an opportunity to grow that particular business and ultimately, handled in the right way, supposedly, it benefits everyone. Supposedly. It doesn't supposedly. always. Well, that's the issue, right? <laughs> because <laughs> the stock market tends to operate on greed and fear, tends to drive the stock market well, very well, often. Well, for me, the problem is more one of dissonance. Okay, so for example, you are an environmentalist and you believe that certain companies Mm -hmm. are not working in that plane. In other words, an oil company, what they do by its very nature is disruptive to the ecology. Right. Actually, it's more than disruptive. It's downright damaging in many cases. And yet, as an individual, you will invest in that particular company's stock because it's growing at a specific rate and you know that you're making more money. So you're saying that money encourages a kind of hypocrisy in people. I see it every day. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't fall into that trap at some point in my life. I try not to do that now. Right. But there are costs to that because we don't live in a system that necessarily abides by that. What people talk about in a dinner conversation and what they actually do are often not the same thing. Yeah, and Mother Nature cares nothing for whether there's money or not 
money in the world. It doesn't mm-hmm. care. So there's that. But the whole issue I have with the stock market and with money in general is that money is, or currency is a kind of mediating force between me and you, mm-hmm. between me and the community. So standing between me and God, for example, is a priest. Standing between me and justice is a lawyer and a court. Mm-hmm. Standing between me and survival is money. Without the money, I don't survive. These mediating forces, and it's only there because we've grown to such large societies. If we localized it more, as in many of these alternative local Mm -hmm. community currencies, Bitcoin's a big one, but there are lots of smaller ones. Yes. Box, box. So, what's your story? What's the world's best performing currency? It's actually Bitcoin. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, a virtual currency, synthetic currency. It was founded in 2008 by this anonymous programmer using the pseudonym um, Satoshi Nakamoto. No one knows who or what he is. He's almost like the Banksy of the internet. And I'm probably not going to do it um, proper service here, but my interpretation of how it works is that Bitcoins are released through this process of mining. So there's a network of computers, a challenge to solve a very complex mathematical problem, and the person that manages to solve it first gets the bitcoins. So the bitcoins are released, they're put into a public ledger called the blockchain, and then they float, so they become a currency. And completely decentralized, that's the sort of scary thing about this, which is why it's so popular. So it's not run by the authorities or the states, it's actually managed by the network. And the reason that it's proved very successful is it's private, it's anonymous, it's fast, and it's cheap. And it sort of started to to trump and disrupt and interrogate traditional institutions and how we think about currencies and money. Box, box. Bitcoin is a complicated thing, but the point of it is that people are seeking alternate currencies. Right. Why? Because they don't trust the current system. They don't trust trust the current banking system. They don't trust government. Yeah. That's the critical part. Yeah, and the banks and the government are like middlemen. They jump in between you and the transaction with your neighbor in the community, whether it's a small community or large community, mm-hmm. a world community. Mm-hmm. So these currencies have been created to bypass the middle person and to give the control of that currency more in the hands of the people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I agree with that trend. And there are lots of examples of local currencies. For example, in Ithaca, New York, they have something called equal dollars. So when you sign up to participate, you receive 50 equal dollars. And then to earn more, you can offer your own possessions in an online marketplace. Mm-hmm. You can volunteer or refer friends. So it becomes more like a barter system, like a, a let system. There's a value assigned. Yeah, an agreed-upon value assigned Mm -hmm. to your service or your project. Mm -hmm. And it's much more intimate and much more personal and much more direct. And I think a lot of these Yeah, which by its very nature makes us more responsible and more accountable because when I see the face, when I touch the person that I'm dealing with or have direct contact with, it creates a relationship, not just product or service. Exactly. So that's a positive, I think, to these alternative things. The other positive to do with local currencies and barter is it encourages a kind of DIY, do-it-yourself attitude, mm-hmm. right? So if I can build that shed myself with the help of my neighbor, I don't have to spend as much mm-hmm. to accomplish that. 
a lot of people don't have the do-it-yourself mentality. They just immediately think, I want a shed, I better go to wherever, home hardware, and buy one. But you can do that because you've also spent some of your time and energy acquiring more money so that you could do that. Yeah, right, See, exactly. Th this is the kind exactly. of vicious circle that we're in. So the person who's a handy person will argue that by doing it themselves, they will save money. The person who's out making money will say that, that's an inefficient use of my time because in the time it takes me to build that shed, I could go and make more money. <laughs> so inefficiency. So money encourages the uh, movement towards more efficiency in the world. As human beings, we're sloppy. We're not efficient. Technology is more efficient, and that's why it's been created. But we're not that efficient as entities on the planet. We're not made for efficiency. And then one can argue the value of efficiency, too, because you can take efficiency to an extreme. So, yes, I produce this faster, I can produce it better, but yeah. I have no contact with my fellow human beings. You yeah, know? and the journey to creating that shed mm -hmm. is a much different journey than going mm -hmm. to a home hardware and mm -hmm. buying a shed. Crad Kalodny the writer back in the 1970s when I knew him, who would stand on the uh, streets on Young Street in Toronto. He would sell his self-published little books of stories mm -hmm. for two bucks or three bucks on the streets of Toronto, barely eking out a living, living in a basement apartment in some rundown area, mm -hmm. living on almost nothing, and being a former investment broker. He turned his back, like you did in some ways, on that world where a lot of money could have come his way and chose to do what he loved to do, which was to write and to promote that. And he did that for at least a decade on the streets of Toronto, summer and winter. Very few people are able to do that, to follow what they love and give up that pension towards money. And yet what you just said, a lot of people would argue that he could do that because he acquired his money first and then he had the choice to do what he loved. You see, yeah, it's that whole sure. chicken egg situation. Yeah, but that money didn't last. I mean, he was penurious. He didn't right. have a bank with money in it and so he could stand out there and make some money and not worry. He was going from rent to rent trying to keep up with it. Mm. So no, he had the struggle but he was willing to do that, crotchety as he was. He still did that for a decade. Is mm -hmm. um, a real kind of interesting example of people who can do what they love. Sometimes you're going to have to suffer for it. You won't have the worldly goods. You won't have the vacations to the Bahamas. But you will have peace of mind and a feeling like I'm doing what I love to do and I am where I should be. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you experience it, but there are no number of holidays that would satisfy me if I come back to the same old, same old. If I'm not content going away on a trip, it's never helped me. If I wasn't content before I went on the trip, I wasn't content when I came back. Yeah. Now, maybe some people experience it differently. Yeah. I look at my daily life as far more important than any number of trips. At least that's the way I think now. Because the whole idea of going on a vacation, when I come back to the same place and same thing that I'm still dissatisfied with, how is that going to change? All I've done is actually added to my burden because now I've got to pay for the vacation. I'm stuck even further. Sure. The more money you have, the more challenges you have in terms of what to do with it. I mean, it's a fact. Uh, <laughs> it's you can, stressful. You, you can do your own examination and studies. People who have a lot of possessions spend pretty much most or all of their time concerned about keeping their possessions. Yes. And I've met lots of wealthy people who I can see have acquired and maintained their wealth by what they don't spend. Mm -hmm. So they might have the, the cheap Volkswagen in the driveway, not the BMW, mm -hmm. because that's how they've lived their life. Mm -hmm. And that's how they've acquired their money. And that's fine. 
Yeah. But when it comes to that person not giving a tip at the restaurant to save that bit of money, mm. when that poor waiter or waitress is barely making a living, that's when it starts to go off the rails. There has to be a generosity of spirit there in people who have made it to give back to the world in some positive way. But in order for that to happen, you have to say to yourself, is what I do more important than what you do? Right. Me running a company with a thousand employees, am I worth that much more than the employees themselves? Or are mm -hmm. the employees part of why I am where I am? Exactly. I mean, yes, we all have different skills. We all have different abilities. But we, our society puts values on something. And the value is largely based on scarcity. Yes, that's right. Right. So if you happen to find something that uh, everybody wants and there's not enough of and you create it, suddenly you're very successful with that. doesn't mean you're a better human being. It doesn't mean that you should be put on some kind of a pedestal. That's the part that I find difficult in my day-to-day -day observation of how we idolize things and people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I have never understood. The garbage man who comes weekly to take my garbage out, in my view, is more valuable than the baseball player standing on the grass at the baseball stadium making a million dollars a week for throwing, catching, and hitting a ball. The right. garbage person working their asses off eight hours a day, five days a week, would never make that in a million years. Right. But in that same conversation, I wouldn't even put any blame on the actual baseball player himself because he's just part of that system that says, you can bring me one million fans, you can fill my stadiums, I in turn am going to make a lot more money, I'm going to sell a lot more hot dogs. Of course. So we as individuals are sucked into this vortex. Yeah. It's not about pointing fingers at people. It's about understanding that we've all agreed that our current system has a certain value. Yeah. And all these things that we talked about, cryptocurrencies, et cetera, et cetera, that's what it's about. Yeah, sure. It's about trying to change the system. There you go. I think that's a good finish. And can I borrow five dollars from you? Absolutely. In fact, I'm, 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 I'll give you the five dollars because I know <laughs> that one day, without me asking, you're going to buy me coffee or lunch. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you.